bank on yourself concept is a very specific strategy and it's a concept that helps people build true wealth, not just paper wealth or Zillow wealth, as we like to say, but real wealth outside of a, any kind of investment and helps it build a liquid contingency pool, both for opportunities in your real estate investments. It's also a strategy that helps you become, literally fire your real estate banker and become your own line of credit to yourself or your real estate investment business. This is the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan, where we interview local real estate investors and professionals to go over tips, tricks, and investing strategies to help you learn about the business and to enable you to achieve your financial goals. And now, welcome to the show. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. Today, we have Mark Willis. Mark is a certified financial planner and the CEO of Lake Growth Financial Services, where he helps his clients implement the infinite banking strategy to help them access more capital. In this episode, we're going to talk about what the infinite banking strategy is and how by using this powerful technique, you're going to be able to get more capital to do more deals without having to go through another banker or a lender. So be sure to listen to this whole episode to hear how you can implement this strategy for your business today. If you're new to this podcast, subscribe to the show and leave a review. We release episodes every Wednesday and Sunday and release the show notes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. By the way, if you need help financing your next real estate project, check out Conventus Lending. Conventus is the best hard money lender with amazing rates and incredible service. I've used them for years and they've always been incredibly easy to work with. If you need a hard money loan, contact me at sean at everythingrei.com to get $1,000 off of your processing fee. And if you want to know the secrets of how investors in the Bay Area are making huge profits in one of the most expensive markets in the world, Download the free Ultimate Bay Area Investing Handbook on our website, everythingrei.com. Enjoy. All right, Mark, thank you so much for being on the show today. Go ahead and introduce yourself and let us know who you are and tell us what you do. My name is Mark Willis. Thanks, Sean, for having me. I'm a certified financial planner and a best-selling author. I'm also uh, the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services. It's a financial firm here in Chicago, Illinois. We work with clients all over the country, uh, real estate investors, uh, individuals, families, business owners that want to grow wealth outside of Wall Street and become their own source of financing. Perfect. And the reason why I want to have you on the show today is because you have a very interesting strategy of becoming your own banker. Do you want to talk about that strategy and how it can help real estate investors? Sure. Yeah. It's a unique niche, especially for a CFP like myself. Most certified financial planners are going to point you toward things they can be paid for like stocks, bonds, mutual funds. So real estate, for example, is not one of their top picks simply because there's no way for them to really have any control over your money. Uh, I hate to say it that bluntly, but most financial advisors would like to make sure that they have all of your assets under their management. That's literally what they call it, assets under management. So the infinite banking concept, or I like to call it, and, and it's actually been trademarked by Pamela Yellen, a bank on yourself. The bank on yourself concept is a very specific strategy, and it's a concept that helps people build true wealth, not just paper wealth or Zillow wealth, as we like to say, but real wealth outside of a, any kind of investment and helps it build a liquid contingency pool, both for opportunities in your real estate investments and emergencies when the stuff hits the fan, like it has in the recent weeks in the market. So that's what the, it is. It's a concept, but it's also a strategy that helps you become, literally fire your real estate banker and become your own line of credit to yourself or your real estate investment business. Cool. And can you tell us how it works exactly? Yeah, sure. 
It's using a very little known form of an, a financial tool that's increased in value for over 200 years. It's using dividend paying whole life insurance as a chassis. But you know, it's not the kind of whole life insurance that Dave Ramsey likes to rail on or Susie Orman likes to rail on. It's using a very modern form of whole life insurance. And it's built on the chassis that's been around, like I mentioned, for 200 years and that has grown guaranteed every single year, no matter what the stock market. So with that in mind, you know, we're using a kind of pairing two different assets. We've got the whole life policy and we've got your real estate. And we can sort of talk, Sean, if you want, a bit about how they fit together. But I've really come to believe and fully convinced as old and as maybe misunderstood an asset as whole life insurance is, it really pairs well with real estate. It's like wine and cheese. It's like peanut butter and jelly. It's like nitro and glycerin. You know, you put those two things together and they become a whole lot more powerful than they would have been alone. Now, each real estate and life insurance well-designed are rocking cool on their own, but you put those two together and all of a sudden you've made yourself 10 times more competitive in the real estate space not to mention much more resilient when tough times come. So we can get into exactly how it works if you want. Yep. Rock and roll. It's really very simple. You know, so first I need to lay the groundwork. This is different than term insurance. Term insurance is the kind of life insurance that you rent for a certain period of time. It's a lot like renting an apartment. When you rent life insurance, you pay a small amount of premium as you possibly can. That's kind of the goal. And most investment advisors would tell you to buy term insurance and invest the rest in their stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and other retail amateur investment products, as, as we like to call them. So term insurance does not build up any cash. You're renting that policy. So there's no equity, like, like when you rent an apartment. The landlord will raise the rent on you, i.e. every year you get older, you're more expensive to insure. So the death benefit stays flat, but your premium, the rent, gets higher and higher. So you're not keeping up with inflation on two sides of the coin there. And once the term is up, once your lease is up, you're kicked out if you can't qualify for that insurance. That's sort of the way term insurance is built. In fact, 99% of term insurance never pays a death benefit claim. So it's sort of like free money to the life insurance companies. So that's renting insurance. Contrast that with whole life insurance, which is more like owning a house. If you own your own house, you are building equity in that house. You know, you've got living benefits. You've got cash value in your whole life policy. It's your cash. You can put large amounts of money into it. You're not putting as little as possible now. You're thinking, how can I squeeze as much as I possibly can into a cash value that I own, control, and have access to and grows guaranteed? That's part of it, but it's also increasing in value. The death benefits increasing and the cash value is increasing uninterrupted compound growth, Sean, for the rest of our lives, that is the, Einstein calls it the eighth wonder of the world. And there's very few things in this universe, financial universe, that is uninterrupted compounding growth. Talk so, about that if you want for a minute. Uh, so before we go into more detail, I want to just clarify some things. So you're talking about term life insurance, which is like your bare bones minimum. That's basically what people get if they only want to secure their, I guess, life insurance policy until they retire, right? When they're when you have kids, mm-hmm. dependents, right? So they won't have a small life term or they won't have a small life insurance policy. Uh, and mm-hmm. then yep. eventually when they get old enough, they say, you know what? Our kids are kind of out of the house. We don't need life insurance anymore to, you know, finance their education or whatever. Then we can let go of that policy. And the whole time they're just paying the bare minimum. But you're talking about whole life insurance, which is where you have 
not just the premium, but you also have a cash balance reserve so that you can invest more into these accounts that you're talking about where they have a guaranteed minimum of growth every single year, even when the stock market tanks like it has recently. That's right. Exactly. Well said. Well said. Yeah. It's a guaranteed uh, never to go down cash value increase for the rest of your life. I mean, where else can we find that in the financial universe? Not even real estate. As cool as real estate is, and believe me, I've got it in my portfolio. I think everyone should have some exposure to different types of real estate. It's as old as the pyramids, for goodness sake. I mean, that's a pretty good sign that the wealthy will continue to do real estate investing for thousands of years to come. People got a place to live, got to have a place to live. But you know, what grows guaranteed? I can't think of many things. These policies are not going to wow us with double digit returns. So, you know, it's not a magic pill for all of your money. I would say you could expect cash equivalent returns better than maybe a bond fund would give you or better maybe than what CDs are paying. You know, I've seen them as low as three and a half percent yields over time in these policies, as high as 7% yields internally in the policies. So they're in that middle single digit range. And they are, by the way, that return that I just said is over time. And it's also, if it's designed correctly, Sean, you can get all of that money out completely tax-free, income tax-free, both principal and gains under current law of life insurance are completely without taxes due when you access the money, whether you're you know, 29 and a half, 59 and a half, or 89 and a half, that money is yours no matter what your age, unlike a 401k, which is all taxable and penalizes you if you're under you know, 59 and a half years old. So that's kind of where we begin our journey in terms of what is bank on yourself type whole life policies. And just to clarify, the reason why it's tax-free is because you're technically taking a loan out on like the life insurance policy, and then you just have to quote unquote pay it back when you die. Is that, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. If any of your listeners know the concept of buy, borrow, die, I think Robert Kiyosaki's guy made that pretty popular. Borrow, die. He talks about it in terms of buying real estate you know, buying real estate, borrowing against it to, you know, live your lifestyle and then die and get a step up in basis on your real estate. That's the buy, borrow, die strategy. Uh, Pretty morbid strategy. I'm not sure it's ever going to be a best-selling book or anything, but think about it this way. Life insurance, you could do the same thing, but with more guarantees and without an external bank getting in the way of messing up your goals. So what's the problem with buy, borrow, die that I've heard from Kiyosaki's team? Well, you know, first you got to buy. Okay. Well, what do we need? We need cash to buy something, right? We need to, even a down payment's going to be required when we buy a real estate deal. Borrow against it. Well, that sounds kind of risky. What if banks decide to stop lending when you need groceries, right? And then finally die. What's the estate tax going to be like when you finally pass away? If real estate does appreciate, you might have a big estate tax problem when you pass away. And so the buy, borrow, die with real estate has some glitches in it. Let's talk about how that same strategy might work for life insurance. And then we can talk, if you want, Sean, about how they can fit really well together, life insurance and real estate. So if you buy a life insurance policy, what do you get? You get a guaranteed cash value increase with dividends paid, which aren't guaranteed, Sean, but these insurance companies that I would typically recommend people work with have paid a dividend without fail every single year for over 100 years. So straight through this epidemic that we've recently survived, hopefully, if you're listening to this, the Spanish flu of 1918, two world wars, the Civil War, the Great Depression of the 1920s and 30s, the Great Recession of 2008, they weren't only surviving, these insurance companies were paying dividends through all of it. So they've been here before. 
and they get how to be profitable in good times and bad. So you buy a policy, you design it with an advisor that knows what he or she is doing, squeezing as much commission out of the policy to put more wealth and cash into your policy. That's really where the bank on yourself advisors come into play here, Sean. There's too many insurance agents out there who've read a book or two and think they're an expert at this. And they end up creating high commission life insurance that's taxable to the client. I've seen it nine times out of 10. Folks think they have one of these policies. Come to find out it's riddled with taxes. It's still in the stock market. It's got high fees or commissions. It's a mess because it wasn't engineered correctly from the start. So I'm off my soapbox there. But that's the first thing you want to do. Design these policies with a competent advisor who's been trained by the Bank on Yourself team. And then next, you want to borrow against the life insurance as you've built it up with smart choices like investing in real estate or heck, just pulling the money out for groceries and retirement. As you mentioned, loans are not considered income by the IRS and you can pull all of your money you paid into it out after tax since it's a return of basis. So all of the money, both principal and gains, can be accessed completely income tax-free. So buy, borrow, and then die when you do finally pass right? Hopefully many, many gener- you know, decades from now, the life insurance death benefit is a significant increase over your contributions. I don't know anything else that automatically makes my family wealthier after I die, except if I was like Picasso, I guess that'd be another way to do it. Mm-hmm. But barring that, I'm not a famous artist. So life insurance seems to be the only way that automatically generates a double digit. And oftentimes it's a double digit tax-free return, depending on your age, of course, when you pass away leaving your family more than you could ever save for them. So buy, borrow, die. That's our little talk about how this relates maybe to real estate and how it could be used as a financial management tool, Sean. Yeah. Uh, any questions or thoughts, feedback on that? You know, I was wondering, how do you pull money out? Like, is it a one-time thing or, you know, can you do it anytime you want? It's like a revolving checking account. How do you do it? And do you have to pay the money back before you borrow again? Hmm. Yeah, smart question. So think of it almost like a HELOC on your house, if you're familiar with how that works. A HELOC, you can access the money multiple times. You don't have to pay it all back before you get more out. A line of credit in your life insurance policy is yours. You can usually request the money, sheet of paper, you can go online and request it. And it's usually directly deposited into your bank account within about four or five business days. No questions asked. Nobody's got to qualify you for the loan. Nobody's got to check your credit history. There's also, by the way, Sean, no required repayment plan. So if you go six months without paying, nobody's calling you at dinner time. If you go six years without paying, nobody's wrecking your credit. If you pass away with the loan outstanding and the policy's in force, then it's simply deducted from the death benefit. And here's where things get really interesting. So let's say you've got 100,000 bucks in cash value at that point. That's the cash value is the money you can spend and use like a line of credit, Okay. Let's say you've got, for sake of numbers, let's just say you've got $500,000 death benefit, okay? And you want to buy, let's pick something simple. Let's say you want to buy, you know, a, a rental that's 50 grand, you know, maybe a fix and flip that you can fix up and flip or rent it out, okay? So you got your 100 grand in cash value. You borrow out, borrow against that cash value, 50,000 bucks to go buy your house. That year, you've got the loan standing, Sean the policy will continue to pay you the interest, the guaranteed interest and the dividend as if there was no loan on the policy. Hmm. And as you pay that loan off, your cash value continues to grow as, as if you, know, you didn't touch a dime of the money. Now that's a 
pretty fun feature because now you've got a way for uninterrupted compound growth inside your policy and you've got rental or the fix and flip or whatever you've got out here in the real estate space. So now we're starting to see, maybe we're starting to sort of connect the dots how this might fit well with real estate because I've got an ever-increasing uninterrupted compounding growth machine over here, this policy that's doing modest returns, always liquid, always accessible to me for my business needs. And I can invest in real estate as I want to with my policy's cash and the cash continues to grow. And there's nothing I can do to stop it. Even if I access the money for real estate or heck going to Disney World or whatever else I want to do. And I put the money back in my policy when I sell the house or flip the house or, or the renter pays me my loan repayments back to the policy and my policy keeps growing as if I never touched it. Now I've got two places my money's working at the same time. So a question for you. That's interesting that your money continues to grow in your life insurance policy, even though you took out a big line of credit out of it. Why is that the case? Like, why are they still paying you and compounding your money, even though you took out like 50K out of your 100K? It sounds too good to be true. So again, I'll, let me go back to the HELOC example of folks are familiar with how home equity lines of credit work. I looked extensively, like what else in the financial universe does this? As I was getting my CFP, I wanted to know, and I looked at over 400 and 50 different financial products out there. Here's one or two similarities that I found, kissing cousins in this space. So, you know, if you have a HELOC on your house, let's say your house is worth 100 grand for sake, simple sake, right? And you get a HELOC for 50 grand and you borrow that money out to go buy a real estate property. Does your house drop in value or does Zillow still think your house is worth 100 grand? Mm, good point. No, it's still the same, right? You're just using your home as collateral. And you know, it's the same with the life insurance. We didn't actually remove money out of that policy. We just used that life insurance cash value as collateral for the loan that we received from the life insurance company. That's where the money, the loan money comes from the life insurance company. Now, here's where it's interesting. You are an owner in that company. It's a mutually owned life insurance company. What does mutual mean? Well, think co-op, you know, it's owned by you and me, the policyholder. So the insurance company that has a pool of money that might be 40, $50 billion large gave you a loan for 50 grand. They know that they're going to get paid back, Sean. Either you're going to pay them back in your lifetime over your own schedule, or it'll be deducted from your death benefit when you pass away. So they're pretty good, pretty confident that they're going to get theirs back. And in the meantime, you've got a guaranteed line of credit in that policy. You know, one distinction from the HELOC, Sean, is that, heck, if you get a HELOC and then banks decide they need to shut down that HELOC, what could they do? They could call it, right? They could term out that HELOC and tell you to pay off 50 grand right now or over the next year or whatever. Mm -hmm. You cannot have that happen in a life insurance policy. You can also you know, lose value. The home value isn't guaranteed, right? That home value could drop. You cannot see it drop. Cash value is guaranteed to grow in a life insurance policy. So I feel a lot safer recommending to our clients to use a line of credit against their life insurance with a company, a life insurance company that they are co-owners in, rather than using a bank and a HELOC, a bank that they're not an owner of, and with a line of credit they have no control over with an asset, their home, that they have no guarantees in. I see. So just to clarify, the uh, life insurance company is the one giving you that line of credit and you're just using your debt benefit as the collateral. Yeah, that's a good summary for it. Yep, your life insurance is your collateral cash. You could remove the money, just simple withdrawal, just like any bank withdrawal. But when you remove money out of a life insurance policy, it stops growing, just like any other savings account or anything else. Makes sense. 
And do you have to pay interest on the money that you take out with a, like a line of credit? Yes. Yes. Okay. There's a policy loan interest on life insurance policies. You know, you know, the life insurance company is not doing this for charity. So they're looking to make some money, but here's again, it's a change in thought process. Who are they? They want to make money off your policy loan, but who are they? Well, if it's a mutual life insurance company, they are us, you know, let that sink in for a minute. If we, you and me, let's say you and I owned a mortgage company for a moment, Sean, you went, you and I went into business. We started a mortgage company. We're selling mortgages and getting people set up, getting into their homes. And let's say that I needed to get a mortgage. Would I go to Wells Fargo? Would I go to Chase? Would I go to, you know, mortgage co down the street or would I go to our company for a mortgage? You go to yourself. Yeah. Why would I do that? Who does that benefit? Because you guys basically get your own commissions, right? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pay us a mortgage payment, you and me. Now, where does the interest on that mortgage end up? In the company that you and I own, right? Yeah. So who benefits? Well, you and me, right? It's the same with a mutual life insurance company, but at a bigger scale. So there's dividends and interest paid based on the interest that policy loans are being paid on. And just to cut to the chase, Sean, most of these policy loans you know, are very nominal. Let's say over four years, if you took a loan out and paid it back over four years, we're talking maybe 2% APR. We've done the math on that. It's typically around 2% APR over four years, for example. Uh, meanwhile, the policy is growing compound on the full cash value over that same period of time. So you, you get positive arbitrage is the upshot there. Wow. Is there like a max like LTV you know, for collateral or can you take out hundred percent of your cash value? Good question, man. Yeah. You could uh, usually see these, it's sort of like a home value, home line of credit can't get hundred percent. Most of the time they, they let you get about 90, 85 to 90% of your cash value can be accessed through the loan. You can always withdraw 100% of your cash, but then it closes the policy down. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what are like the downsides of this? Like if the life insurance company goes bankrupt, then you lose everything. Or do they also have some kind of insurance policy against that where like another company could acquire them or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You want to kind of check your financials and work with the right company. I already mentioned how important it is to work with the right advisor. And again, there's a lot of nicknames out there. We've already mentioned two of them, but again, it's the difference between buying an all natural granola bar and buying a organic USDA organic granola bar. You really want to work with a certified bank on yourself authorized advisor who works with an insurance company that they vetted carefully to make sure the policy was designed with all these right features. Some of these insurance companies will penalize you when you access the loans and or will stop growing your money on the cash that you borrow out. Just to name a few quick examples there, Sean. For example, a very popular life insurance company will say they're from the Northwest. How about that? I'll just say that. They will penalize you anytime you access the money and the cash value by reducing your dividends while that loan is outstanding. Mm-hmm. Uh, just for example. Okay. So to your point, you really do want to make sure you work with an advisor who's already vetted the insurance companies. And these insurance companies need to have significant financial strength. Like we're talking hundred years of history of paying dividends. Now, what happens if it all hits the fan? Uh, let's talk about it. So back in 2008, 498 banks, not just branches, whole entire banks went bankrupt. And as of this recording, we're entering into what might be another recession and banks are already begging for another bailout. No surprise there. Meanwhile, in 2008, 
one life insurance company, not 498, just one life insurance company went into bankruptcy. And it was a very small one down in Texas called Lincoln Memorial. I had never heard of them. You don't want to do business with companies you've never heard of or have very short histories, right? What happened to the policyholders there at Lincoln Memorial was kind of interesting. The Department of Insurance in Texas took over the business of Lincoln Memorial, ran the policy, ran the general fund, ran the insurance company in the interest of the policyholders there at Lincoln Memorial, and essentially sold or gave all of the policies to a more well-run life insurance company called Banner Life. I don't recommend Banner for bank on yourself, by the way, but they're a better, well-reserved company, financially speaking. So they just basically, all the insurance policyholders saw was a change in logo on their annual dividend statements. That was about it. You know, this is very different maybe than say the 401ks that they might've been looking at during the same 2008 year, right? When 401ks were becoming 201ks. <laughs> Does that answer your question? Yeah, exactly. So yeah, worst case, typically it doesn't happen, but if it does happen, they can just get acquired by another company mm-hmm. and then all is good for the policyholders. Yeah, they cannot wiggle out of that contract. Once it's a signed deal between you and the insurance company, it's called a unilateral contract. And contract law is, you know, pretty serious in this country. In most of Western civilization, they, you can't just, wiggle. it's the same with, you know, contract you sign for real estate. You know, you can't just wiggle out of that thing. Yeah. And from uh, talking with you about the strategy, it seems like a really good thing for real estate investing, but I'm talking about my own personal life insurance policy. I probably put in about $500 per month in it. It is a whole term because I do have a month of cash value, but mm-hmm. 500 bucks a month equals to 6,000 a year. Now 6,000 a year isn't really going to get me anywhere anytime soon. Like in 10 right. years, I'm going to have paid 60,000. That's including my, like the, the term portion of it, right? Mm-hmm. Or I guess the policy portion of it. How much can you actually put in? Because without a significant amount of money, this strategy doesn't seem that great. Well, you're exactly right. You know, pennies in, pennies out. And good for you for saving on a consistent basis. I have a lot of folks that say, hey, Mark, this is my best performing asset because it's never had a down year and because it's a forced savings plan for me. So if nothing else, do that. And yeah, you can start these policies with as little as a couple hundred bucks a month. But Sean, I've got clients that are doing hundreds of thousands of dollars every year. And really, there is no limit to how much you can pack into these. It's really designed around what's your goal, what's your outcome. You know, 25 grand a year, 100 grand a year, half a million a year. These are, in some ways, I've heard these referred to as the rich person's Roth. Because again, they are designed and taxed similar to a Roth IRA. And yet there is no income phase out rules like Roth IRAs have. You know, if you make too much money, they won't let you put money into a Roth IRA. Also, Sean, they'll cap you on what you can put into a Roth IRA. As you mentioned, yeah, six grand, I think, is the current law under 2020 rules if you're under age 50. So what's six grand gonna in a Roth IRA really going to do for us, right? And you're right about the life insurance too. The more you can pack in, if it's designed right, the more benefit and leverage you can get out. How much liquid cash, if it was still predictable, accessible for you, would you want to have at your fingertips? That's the question each of your listeners might ask yourself. Exactly. And also, uh, is there like an income... Uh, not limit, but like, are you allowed to put in that 500,000 if you're only making like 100,000 a year? Or they (laughs) want to say, hey, you're not actually worth that much when you die. So we can't let you put this much money in. Yeah, you're thinking right, man. Yeah. So, you know, we want, I want to put as much as I comfortably can into policies. There are some caps 
not from the government, but from the life insurance company themselves. You know, underwriters at insurance companies will take a look at your income, take a look at your net worth, and usually multiply it based on your age. You know, pick a number. Maybe it's if you're young and in your 20s, maybe it's times 30, your income times 30. If you're 50 years old, maybe it's times 10 or 20, you know? So it kind of comes down to that. That's one limiting factor. Also, if you've got other existing insurance, they might also cap you on how much you can get on yourself. Or if you have health issues, you know, if you've got a couple of health issues in your past. But here's something that's kind of interesting we've recently discovered and has been helpful for our clients. You can be the owner of a policy, Sean, that isn't necessarily insuring your own life. So here, let me walk that out. If you're married, if you have kids, that's one additional place you might look for a portfolio of policies. If you have real estate business partners, everybody who has an LLC with a partner needs to get a policy on that partner for a lot of reasons, you know, for risk coverage and all that. But also it's a, you know, it's another asset for your LLC. Your business can own these policies just like you could individually. And uh, so there's some other ways you can start a portfolio, even if you've had some health history or if you've got too many birthday candles on the cake, all those sorts of things. That's pretty crazy. So if you have a partner, you can create a policy on their life. And if they happen to pass away, you can pay it out. That's right. Yeah. Well, think of it this way. <laughs> You're wanting that equity that they had in your business and your partner's spouse probably doesn't want to be a partner with you in real estate. You might not want the partner's spouse to be your all of a sudden business partner either. So it becomes a ready-made death benefit either to your business, a windfall for your business to replace that very important business partner that you're going to have to probably replace. You know, your business will sustain a loss if he passes or she passes. Uh, or it's a way to pay off a surviving spouse so he or she doesn't show up to work on Monday morning telling you what to do with the business now that he or she's uh, <laughs> an equity shareholder, right? That's true. That's true. So what can you do if you already have a policy and you want to switch your life insurance policy so that you can do this? like infinite banking strategy? Yeah. A lot of people have asked me that question, Sean. So, you know, think of it this way. You can take your business elsewhere if you want to. Maybe it makes sense to keep it. I don't know. We'd have to look at everyone's situation. And I do, by the way, me and my colleagues, we do offer consultations. We don't charge a fee just to talk about this with folks, to look at the numbers. And we can even look at the existing policy and see if it's better to keep it or to replace it. Your listeners probably know what a 1031 exchange is in real estate, mm -hmm. uh, where you transfer one type of real estate for another. You can do the same. It's called a 1035 exchange with life insurance, and it works really very much the same. You can transfer one policy's cash value over to a new life insurance policy designed correctly. So if you've built up 30 grand, 50 grand in a you know poorly designed variable life insurance or worse, indexed universal life insurance policy, and you want to put it over into a bank on yourself designed whole life policy. It's a simple transfer from one cash value to the next. And as long as you can, you know, be approved for the life insurance, the new policy, you're good to go. So do you have to requalify yourself? Take that like what's a blood test and make sure you're all good. Or some people have had their policies for decades, right? And now they probably right. wouldn't qualify for a new insurance policy. Maybe. Yeah, that's right. If And again, it, it, everybody's going to have their own story here. But yeah, sometimes we look at things and we say, you know what, hold on to that one and let's just start fresh with a new one. Other people, it's they're no longer insurable, unfortunately. And sometimes it makes great sense to transfer it on over a number of reasons. I had a gentleman one time, he was putting in 85 grand a year into a policy that was going to run out of money. It was not a whole life policy. It was not a bank on yourself designed policy, Sean. 
It was actually something called indexed universal life, which is very similar, but categorically different. The risk is back on your shoulders with what we call IUL or indexed universal life. He was putting 85 grand a year into that thing. It was going to basically last three years into his retirement before it just ran out of cash and collapsed on itself. Three years. So we transferred the money. He had you know, significant fees and penalties and we took a hard look at it and he was just ready to get out of that mess. So we transferred it out, put it into a well-designed policy and took his lumps to get out. But he's now in a much better place. His policies, cash value in the new bank on your self-designed whole life policy will last him the rest of his life without a bunch of stress and worry. Yeah. So for everyone listening to this, these are one of those things where it does make sense to call as soon as possible because you only get, you know, older over time, right? That's so, true. <laughs> yeah. There's some significant discounts to getting a life insurance policy earlier rather than later. And again, just getting it started, starting to pay those couple hundred bucks a month is better than not having it. And then trying to qualify when you're in your like, you know, later years and then having to pay that same amount. Um, just mm-hmm. like the term part. So let me uh, let me speak to that very quickly. I know we probably have some other stuff to cover, Sean. But if you're younger, let's say I'll speak to the older and the younger. So if you're younger and you have some student loan debt, and you say like I did, my wife and I had one hundred and twenty thousand dollars of student loan debt, and our question to ourselves was, should we just pay off this debt before we start saving? We love bank on yourself. We want to start it someday. Maybe we should just wait until we're debt free. And that was our question. So we looked at it. We ran the numbers and we said, wait a minute. What if we snowbank our debt? What if we actually buy back our debts from our Sally Mays and our student loan companies? What if we build up enough money in our bank on yourself whole life policies that we build up enough in our policy then to take loans against the policy and write checks to wipe out the debts one at a time? And then, you know, we've essentially bought back our debt. And as we wish and want to, we can pay our loan back to ourselves and get the arbitrage, the growth on our cash. So we paid off the debt and we were saving for our financial future at the same time. We don't have to wait until we're debt free to start saving for the future. It's a non-choice, right? Uh, There's a better way. There's something better even than just being debt free. And so for the younger crowd, that's one way to go. If you're older, heck, I've seen people dump in one lump sum. You don't have to do this for 30 years. Just one chunk. You got 200 grand sitting in a CD getting taxed every year. No, thanks. Let's dump that into a policy with one payment. You could have hundreds of thousands, 200, $240,000 available as cash, depending on your age and health and all that to use as a uh, line of credit right away for your real estate business. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, when you're saying like fire your banker, are you allowed to take that money that you take out as a line of credit as just the down payment portion, or is it supposed to be for the entire amount of like the purchase? Yeah, you can get creative here. You know, I don't tell folks just to do this overnight. Firing your banker might be a multi-year process. Here's some ideas. You know, you could use the policy for small things first. Maybe you pay your property taxes every year from the policy. That'd be cool. Or maybe your homeowner's insurance. Maybe you become your own escrow to yourself. Maybe you keep some money for repairs, that HVAC that is about to blow. Maybe use it for the larger purchases like a down payment. Maybe you use it for full 100% cash purchases. It works fine in all those scenarios. Nice. Very nice. So before we end our show today, do you want to talk about your company, Lake Growth Financial Services, and tell us how you can help our listeners? Sure. Yeah. The financial firm is in Chicago. We do work all over the country. You know, we've got a podcast. If you want to dig into this further and just sort of learn more date before you marry, so to speak, we've got over a hundred episodes at Not Your Average Financial Podcast. 
on this topic, including some webinars and some podcasts on how this works for real estate investors. But you know, if you don't remember anything else, just go to growmorewealth.com. Growmorewealth.com is our website. Kind of a hello, how are you landing page, you might say, for learning a bit more about how this strategy works and also how to get connected to me or one of my colleagues. Uh, so growmorewealth.com. If you fill out the form there, one of us will reach out to you and schedule a 15-minute phone appointment. You know, real laid back, answer your questions, kind of get to know if this is a good fit or not. It's not a good fit for everybody. So that might be one thing that folks can take away is growmorewealth.com. Do you want to briefly talk about what people need to do to qualify for a policy like this? Yeah, I would say don't do this if you are unable to save, if you're not living within your means or it's just a tight time or whatever. Uh, As mentioned, we can talk about the debt snowbank method if you're in debt and just want to find a better way to be debt free. But if you're uninterested in saving, you know, if you're just enjoying life and there's more month at the end of the money, not a good fit for you, right? Mm -hmm. And also if you want instant rate of returns that are like double digits, this policy will bore you to tears. So yeah, don't do this if we're looking for an investment. It's simply not. It's, it's just a parking lot for your money in between your deals. It's a way to kind of recycle the cash in and out for various real estate opportunities or emergencies. And too many people these days, at least as of our recording, Sean, need more liquid cash. Uh, we need more liquid cash. If uh, we're going to hit 10%, 20% unemployment, if real estate drops again and things go on sale, we need people with liquid cash to survive and also thrive in this new economic reality we find ourselves in as of the last few weeks. That's right. So Mark, do you have any other last tips that you'd like to share with us before we end our show today? You know, keep learning, keep reading, come at this with an open mind, think different about your money. Ask yourself who's giving me this advice. If they're telling you to put your money all in on the stock market, ask them if they're being compensated for that advice, right? If you ask a barber, if you need a haircut, you can bet what his answer is going to be. So take a moment and just kind of discern where is this advice coming from and do your own due diligence. You'll be rewarded for all areas of life, including your finances. Perfect. So Mark, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having you on the show. And I really, really appreciated this conversation because I've read about this topic in the past. I've heard about it, but I'm glad to be able to talk to you about this to get a better understanding of how this whole process works. It's a revolution happening. If even just 10% of America became their own banker, we would see an overhaul of the credit card industry, the mortgage industry. We'd have more control over our lives. So I'm, I'm pleased to get it, get it into the ears of your audience. And Sean, it's a pleasure being on your show. Yeah. All right, Mark. Thanks so much. Thank you. Here are some of the key takeaways from this episode. Using the infinite banking strategy, you're able to leverage your whole life insurance policy as a way to get more capital to purchase real estate without having to worry about getting approval from a lender. You can leverage your policy as collateral for a loan and decide if you want to pay it back during your lifetime or not. If you don't, then they're just going to take it out of your life insurance benefit when you pass away. So if you want access to more capital to do more deals, call Mark and his team to have them help you apply the strategy for your business. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find the show notes and other episodes on our site, everythingrei.com slash podcast. If you live in the Bay Area, join our meetup group, where we meet up twice a month in San Jose at meetup.com slash everythingrei. And if you thought this was a great episode, let me know what your key takeaway was and share it with a friend who's interested in real estate investing. Thanks and have a great day. This was another episode of the Everything Real Estate Investing Show with Sean Pan. If you enjoyed the show, leave us a five-star rating. It will only take a second and it'll help a lot. You can contact me at sean at everythingrei.com. That's S-E-A-N at everythingrei.com. Thanks and have a great day.